0: Welcome to another episode of the Emulsion Podcast, a show for chefs who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and I'd love to continue the conversation with you from this episode on my online Circle community. There, you can share your two cents and learn about supporting the show on justinkanna.com support. For your convenience, it's also linked up in the description of your podcast player. Let's get into the show. Jade Leong is back on the show. Please check out that download in the description. It's a good place to start. We were reflecting before the mics turned on that it's been almost three years since our first conversation, and I feel like a gajillion things have changed. You've gotten married. (laughs) You've successfully navigated a hospitality (laughs) business through a pandemic. We are business partners now. You've gotten in the best shape of your life, and you're a thriving lawn bowl player. Did I miss anything?
1: Uh... No. no, I'm um, yeah, I think you I think you got the snapshot. Uh, we haven't seen each other in the flesh in in 18 months, which is just insane. Uh, but you know, I I feel like we see when well, we see each other every day, but uh just not in person.
0: Just strange uh not just as a like a people focused business, but as like people who I mean we we joke that we're business married, right? And the fact oh, that yeah. it's been like this this is the long-distance chapter of our business marriage relationship. <laughs> our relationship. Yeah,
1: oh, and our poor actual husbands and wives have to put up with us calling each other constantly. And uh, it's amazing they haven't divorced us in this pandemic because of the number of calls that we have to take from home. But uh, it is what it is. So, the,
0: the first topic I want to explore with you is entrepreneurship itself. And and more mm-hmm. specifically, these very nuanced alterations that you've made, and mm-hmm. I th- I think it might be a se- it might be second nature to us because we built them into the company culture of mm-hmm. Voyagers Table, and we live yeah. these things every single day. And I've learned a ton of you, a ton from you on this entire topic, seeing how you operate as CEO. But I think when we bring them up to other startup folks or even hospitality people, people, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think a restaurant itself or a catering company is more small business startup-y than most people talk about. Um, But when we talk about these concepts, it's confusing for people sometimes. So I'm going to say a word or a phrase that we use, and then you can help define it to the listeners and maybe a little bit of philosophy behind it. So what is a JJ wellness check-in?
1: Oh gosh. Well, um, it starts with the fact that we wanna lead by example. And we recognize that both society and work culture and the nature of our industry and our business does not encourage us to put our well being as a priority. However, we also have seen in our own lives and in the lives of entrepreneurs and business owners we've watched, what happens when you don't make that a priority. And so Justin and I, twice a week, we call each other. Uh, am I allowed to, to say swears on this podcast? Great. Because um, we shoot the shit, but we also check in on each other. How are you sleeping? How are you, how's your health? How are you eating? Um, are you healthy, feeling well? What are you anxious about? And it's so vital to the health of our business because we deal with people. When we are not emotionally healthy or physically healthy, we don't have the physical and emotional stamina to give of our best to ourselves and our clients. And so putting that as a cornerstone of how we interact with each other, it means that we have the strength emotionally, physically, spiritually to go the distance when it comes to the busy seasons. Our industry is notorious, uh, you know, and I, I say that as, as an event company, we're uh, hospitality industry adjacent because the hospitality restaurant life is even more intense, you know, getting time for a, 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 a bathroom break is a challenge when you're in busy service, right? And as we're seeing out of the pandemic, people are questioning if that's actually a healthy business model. And... I think one of the wonderful things is that Justin, we've been practicing this for three years. And so it was a no brainer to prioritize our well being in a time where everybody was realizing well being is really important. Um, and I feel really lucky that I have a business partner who cares about that as much as I do. And we would not have been able to weather the storm of these last 18 months had we not taken care of ourselves. When I don't sleep, I don't make good decisions we all know that when you're tired you don't make good decisions how can we expect to run companies and grow them if we aren't taking care of these fundamentals this whole culture of like i only need 4 hours of sleep because i i'm a go getter and i'm a badass it's like yeah great talk to me after your third divorce and when you're doing coke on the regular just to keep up it's like if i want that life if i if it was about just money there are lots of easier jobs i could have <laughs> Especially after being an entrepreneur, I should go do those. If it's about doing what you love and having longevity in that industry, then you have to put your well-being at the forefront.
0: So someone's listening and they're like, "Okay, cool. I like that idea. How does that actually come into practice?" Because I think we treat it like a like a doctor's appointment or a mm-hmm. scheduling call with your therapist. Like it's not you making sure that I have the call and me making sure you're on the call. It's like we are – and I think that this is an important nuance because I think coming from one person um, uh, hierarchically imposing this on somebody else, Mm -hmm. I think you have to have the buy-in from both sides, and it's almost Mm -hmm. like – we apologize to each other if we miss our wellness check-in because it's honestly so critical for us. So, um, I guess practical things for folks. I mean, it doesn't have to be 30 minutes. We've done 10 minute ones before. Um, but anything else that tactically that people can do, if they're like, this sounds like a good idea, I think I should do this with my business partner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's, you, you've got to find a time that works. And so we, we, you know, we have these rough appointments on our calendars and, it's usually when I'm walking to work or when Justin's walking back from the gym. And so it's not like we have to be in front of our computers. It's it, we, we, it's just a phone call. And what I love about it is that I, I feel like it's like an interstitial, but it's a critical interstitial. Um, I'll think of Justin as I'm walking home and I'll be like, Oh, I ha- we haven't, we didn't do, we missed our wellness today. Oh, let me give him a quick call. And it's those little prompts um, getting buy-in from your business partner is critical. I, I'll take two steps back and say, choose your business partners wisely. They need to be someone who you, like if the chips were all down, like if you had nothing left, they would still have your back. I have seen so many entrepreneurs make poor business partnership decisions um, that have cost them. And and unwinding a business partnership is like a divorce. Totally. I can tell you there are amicable divorces and there are terrible ones and I feel so fortunate you know the the adage I mean the the track record I have is before I before I started Voyage's Table I started four businesses in four years Voyage's Table was the fifth business I'm pleased to say that I'm still friends with those former business partners that I care about them deeply that we care about one another and unwinding the business partnership was fairly straightforward it was still stressful don't sure. get me wrong because you're I sweat when I talk to lawyers. That's just how I, and and the tax department, and Justin watches me do it. I'm definitely the goody two shoes that just always thinks I've done something wrong when people of authority are involved. Um, But having those business partners where your values align wasn't that one of the first things we talked about? Was that the the fundamental need to have an alignment of values? Um, And so maybe it's an opportunity to have a values discussion with your business partner, take it two steps back and go, what is important to you? Do our values align? There's a bunch of great resources online to get alignment on values. You do the exercise, your business partner does the exercise. If your business partner doesn't see that there's value in doing that, that would be a red flag for me. Hi boys, for a reason. Um, so use that, you know, if you're, if you're early on in your business partnership, now's the time to ask hard questions. That's that's where I'd start. And then I'd say, you know, if if they're not in a place or if they're, you know, not up to it or not interested, maybe find a, a friend or a colleague or or a uh or a fellow entrepreneur who also needs that kind of support and wants to, you know, participate in that and then you can be each other's like success buddy and, and keep each other accountability buddies, you know? They're so vital.
0: It I know we're talking about it in like a co founder to co founder kind of context here, but like If anybody who's listening thinks back to, like, work relationships where you feel like you're super on the same page as your other colleague, I mean, it might – like, I have a a person that I worked with on the line in Norway, and after service, we would write our prep list together and Mm -hmm. ask, how did that feel tonight? You know, like, what would you kind of change – I mean, like, we weren't calling it a wellness check-in, but in theory, we were technically doing, like, this little, very disciplined, like, short and sweet, but just, like, take each other's pulse kind of check-in and, like – it yep. does. Even if it's like your your station partner and you can do mm-hmm. something like this, I think that that would you know pay some dividends. Yep. Um,
1: or if someone, if you're in culinary training with, or you know you're going through some sort of education program together, like go, hey, will you ask me next week if I did ten push ups before, I, or like I need to do five squats before service? Can you? If I don't, I'm paying you five bucks. Like cute. you set the example, lead by example, and then invite that person to come to the party before you know it, you're going to find someone who wants to play that game with you. And then that helps you find people that you resonate with as well. It's a great way to make friends, I think.
0: The next word that I'd like you to either define or give some examples on is is conviction. Why is conviction so important?
1: Oh, golly. We're going deep real fast, eh? <laughs> uh, no, it's great. I mean, gosh, conviction is... It drives purpose, I think, right? Like if you don't have conviction about what you do, are you doing it? And I get it. Like, let's not get too kind of wooey about it. There's things that we don't like to do that we have to do. I don't love chasing customers for invoices. I got to do it. It's not about conviction at that point. That's just practicality and the smarts of the common sense of running a good business. But that said, the core of the expression of what you do the the overall like an idea or a project or a you know even a dish that you're presenting for all of our, our chefs out there do you believe in it do you have conviction about what you're putting into the world as creatives we can often get into the trap of that necessity versus art and I actually think we're approaching it wrong they're not mutually exclusive you know this this thing about like well it You can't make money if you're making real art, rubbish. That is rubbish as we say in Australia. Um, Because if if you use your whole brain, think about it holistically, great art has value. Great creativity has value. So identify that value. And so that's where for me, conviction allows me to stand by the decisions that I make. It's, a, it's my litmus test of if we should push forward with a concept, push forward with a service offering, or whether we just need to go, no, I need to sit on that. And we actually have been working on some really cool service offerings um, that uh, I actually need to catch Justin up on because he's been um, out of office for a couple of days. And Simran, our COO, and I were joking that Justin's been gone two days and we've with uh, maybe turn the farm upside down flipped it all over sorry sorry sorry, dad
0: (laughs) costs of doing business I I mean I I love it it's great no it's great
1: (laughs) but that's what happens when you like again talking about conviction if you have conviction about the the, who you hire and the great team that you're building you can go away for a few days and trust that they're gonna have made decisions that you align with values conviction I'm gonna just sound like a broken record here with this same stuff but um Again, it's, it comes back to like, if I don't care about it, why am I doing it? And so that conviction is so necessary. So I'll, I'll round off and I went on a tangent there, but some of the service offerings we're talking about, two out of three, we're like, yep, 100% conviction. The third one, we're kind of like, I see where we're going with this as a creative team. We know, we're like, I know what we're trying to do, but something isn't sitting right. That's how I articulate it. It's like something isn't clicking for me. Something's not sitting right. Let's sleep on it. Because if we're gonna put it out in the world, that's what we're saying we stand by. It's what we're saying we do. Let's let's wait, sleep on it, argue about it a bit more, brainstorm on it a little bit more, create space uh, to get to a place of conviction one way or another. Or tweak it so you can have conviction about it don't rush it out into the world um that's the other thing that I would add is you 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 can't create space to get to a place of conviction about things that you're putting out in the world if you're running at 105 percent and so come back to that fundamental if you aren't taking care of yourself if you're running if you're redlining every single day you're not going to put good work out in the world and you're not going to have space to sit on something to make sure you really are ready to put it out in the world. So it's all interconnected, right?
0: There's a useful framework in there maybe for folks who are who say yes a lot to a lot of stuff or have problems. Mm-hmm. Either that or they, they don't know what to say no to. Like everything sounds, mm-hmm. sounds attractive or, oh, well, I'm, if I let this pass by, maybe this will never come back again or whatever or they feel pulled in too many different directions. Like that framework of, do I asking yourself, do I have conviction about this might be a helpful thing for, for yeah. some folks to kind of make that, make that call.
1: Yeah. Does it click with you? Mm-hmm.
0: Like,
1: are you excited about it? Um, and if someone told you, no, that wouldn't work, how would you respond?
0: That's Cause really the team
1: book. knows I do this That's all really the time. Totally. Right. Cause I'll get this look on my face, and then Simran will look at me and go, "Uh oh, what have you done now? What kind of idea?" And I'll be like, "Um, I have an idea." <laughs> and even recently, I had an idea, and I brought it to the team, and they were like, "Oh, I don't think this could work," or oh, "I don't see it." And I'm like, "Okay, all right." And then the next morning, I'm like, "Nope, nope, I'm convinced. I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it back on you guys. Okay, help me solve for this." and we're still a team and then i think we run a very flat hierarchy here right so i take on board the pushback it's a it's a safe environment to argue it makes me so proud that people to- told me no to the idea because it it means that our culture work is working it means that our team some of whom have only just joined us in the last few weeks right feel comfortable to tell their boss no i don't i don't think that I don't think we should do that or I don't think that'll work.
0: Sure.
1: But it also is incumbent on me then to go, Yeah, but you know what? I still see this and this is how and so then I have to lead from the front in how we get there, help bring them along in in what I'm seeing that maybe we're not all seeing. So yeah. It's uh
0: another one that I mean we've been we've been um kind of post mortem applying this word or phrase to what we do and I don't think we started like this, but I think looking back, you can see where it makes sense. Human centered design, design mm. d- define that for us and talk a little bit about why it's
1: important. Gosh, it's so funny, right? Cause like, this was one of the things that, I'm trying to years ago when I was in university uh, and I, you know, we, we won't age me too much, but um, let's just say some of the line cooks that are listening were not born when I went through university. <laughs> Uh, what was the funny thing I interviewed? We interviewed somebody that wasn't born when I graduated college guys. So that's, that's how, you know, you're old, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, but when I went through university, this was just starting to be a thing, human centered design. And I was an occupational therapist. So we talked about it in the sense of universal design, making design accessible, the way that you don't design a building. Can a person who has mobility issues access this building? And it comes from this school of thought of that you put this person at the center of your design process. Um, it has, it behooved me very well. Is that the right use of that mm. word? Um, when I was running a tech company and working with developers who are paid and are supposed to solve development problems, like coding problems. But we always came back to And even with investors that I was pitching, they were like, well, you don't have a tech background. I'm like, yeah, but technology isn't our user. Humans are our user. Humans are our clients. And so even more when we're in a service business, where we're in a person service business, we have to put people at the center of how we design things. It's kind of just common sense. Um, Who is the person who's gonna pay for your service? Who's the person that's gonna use it? It's a human. Until robots take over and they're the ones that are, you know, like booking us for events, it's humans. And so when we put people at the center of that design process, how will a person interact with this? How will a person experience this? Especially for culinary creatives, right? When you're thinking about a dish and you're creating a dish for someone to have an experience, even the way that you layer that burger, you're thinking about what goes on the bottom, what's going to hit their taste buds, like, you're thinking about that person. That's really human-centered design. Um, there are some really great courses out there. There's great, great literature. Um, uh, a, 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 uh, Acknowledgements to my friend, Nathaniel Fu, who, who put me onto these guys and I've been following them for a little while and always respected them, but didn't know that they were actually part of the forefront of human-centered design. Um, it's, IDEO at IDEO. How do I pronounce that? Um, so there's some resources on their website that are really fantastic. If you want to dive a little deeper and nerd out with us on that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I would define human centered design, which sounds so obvious, but people don't practice it. They think of it, they do business centered design or they do outcome centered design and, or ego focused yeah,
0: design. Yeah. Right? Like what makes you me what look you like in. I'm the flashiest or spent the most money yeah. or,
1: yep and you know that's a the short game that's it works in a long term game, if you're looking for sustainability and longevity in a, in a competitive industry, that kind of thinking will only get you so far in my opinion. So
0: you bashed your age. I did not bash your age, and I promise this is not a bash <laughs> on your age, but I, I I literally have people reaching out every week at. 23, 24 saying, I'm Mm -hmm. too old to change industries. And there are countless stats that we've all seen them of founders who didn't start the thing or register the business until they were 50 or something like that. Older than both of us. Right. So Mm -hmm. what do you have to say to that person who thinks they're either behind or they're too late? Rubbish. (laughs) It's true.
1: In this instance, And I I use this phrase carefully because I don't like to get into the, I can fix everything if I just think about it. If It's all, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Yeah, we are privileged to have the ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? And we talk often about the privilege that we have as people who have family members and friends who I would you know, I used to play this game. We played it many times, the worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that could happen to us in this business? What's the worst thing that could happen to us in this moment right now? Well, I'd, I'd be embarrassed if the business failed. Okay, I think I can get over that. Uh, I'd, I'd have to declare bankruptcy. Okay, that sucks. But okay, there are, there, are, there are mechanisms that help me get through that process.
0: And you wouldn't be the first person in the world to declare bankruptcy
1: either. <clears throat> wow, yeah, exactly. Much more irresponsible people <laughs> than me have, have, have had to do that. Um, I'd have to go back to Australia and, and, you know, tail between my legs and sleep on my parents' couch or in their spare bedroom, you know, for... For, for a few weeks while I got myself back on my feet, wow, then I'm pretty lucky. If that's my, if that's my worst case scenario, I'm pretty lucky. Um, so how that all ties into this is what is, what are the safety nets that you have? What's the privilege that you hold the luck that you have to be lucky to have family members who would, you know, they'd put up with you for a couple of weeks on their couch while you were figuring out the transition. Okay. Well then you've got two more weeks than most other people. Um, and Gosh, let's talk timelines then. So I graduated college at the ripe old age of 20 after four years of uni. Yes, I was young when I started. It's a whole thing. There's a backstory. Don't worry. It's not really that interesting and I'm not smart. So don't worry. Um, scraped through on the t- coattails of friends in uni who are much smarter than I was. I was just really good at writing essays. Um Came out, did a worked in insurance workers compensation for about a year, then switched to doing pediatric uh, health care. So as a therapist, then about four or five years later, uh, I pivoted into marketing and communications. Then I pivoted into philanthropic consulting. Then I pivoted to being an entrepreneur and started five businesses in four years. And here we are. So I don't do what I train to be. I use it every day. Some of those frameworks, like I said, human-centered design, I learned all of that at university. But I'm not doing the thing that I trained to be. Uh, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a therapist now. We use therapeutic practices in our facilitation with our online events. Like It's amazing how you can come so full circle with everything's a learning opportunity. That's how I would define it. And at 23 to 25, man, I wish someone had sat me down and said, this is actually the beginning of all the opportunities you're about to have. Find people who are going to push you, find people who are going to champion you. Um, Another adage that I don't agree with is, oh, find only find people who are going to lift you up. Only hang out with people who are going to lift you up. Rubbish. You do need champions. You need cheerleaders. Sometimes it's good to be around people that you don't, you can't really jive with because you learn from them, observe them. How do they behave? What is it that you respect about them? What would you not want to do? Everything's a learning opportunity. Um, And I acknowledge I'm a doer. So when I see a problem, I just want to roll up my sleeves and solve it. Um, My husband tells me all the time that, you know, at the start of the pandemic and even when we had to close down the tech company and I pivoted to, um, you know, wanting to start the event company was back in Australia, no idea how I was going to make my way in the world and was like, I, I know I'm, you know, heading back to Seattle soon. What the heck am I going to do in a week? My friend, Nat, actually, Nathaniel Fu, there you go. Shout out Nat. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I started a, a poke truck because we are like, you know what? I know how to make great poke. We're going to start a food truck. And in a week we started one get out there and do something, do something in your spare time that gets you to where you want to go. Um, Maybe close Instagram or your phone a little more often. And I, you know, I acknowledge that we need to decompress, that we have to deal with our stress, but even if it's 10% of your time, or even if it's an hour a week, how are you moving yourself forward to where you want to be? Um, and be around people who are doing the same thing. And then you realize it's actually, it's not as impossible as you think. Um, so yeah, and for those 23 to 25 year olds out there thinking it's too late to change, friend, 20, 20 years the track almost, I can tell you, change things about six or seven times and it is well worth it. I would not change it for the world.
0: You, I mean, Stereotypical therapist thing, I I learned a new question from you that I'm going to ask in some of my coaching calls because when I get that question or this um, dilemma that people are struggling with, I'd be curious what the answer that people would say to who are you comparing yourself to Mm -hmm. because I think that that, it's not that you feel like you're too old to change industries for a lot of people. It's I see where I am and I'm looking at where these other people are and I feel like there's a disconnect. So yep. that's, a very, that's a really interesting point that I don't think gets talked about enough.
1: And, you know, I think if I can make a point of saying it's one of the reasons why we try to hire laterally, we, we try to apply a lot of lateral thinking to our hiring because some of our best team members have not ever had professional event experience. And so find those companies that are willing to work with people who don't have the traditional experience of that industry because you're probably going to get an opportunity that you wouldn't have got if you went to a more traditional structured company. Um, We live in a time where anyone can start anything just about because there's this thing called the internet and it's a phenomenal, it's a double-edged sword because we see these people successful on YouTube and Instagram and whatever else. Well, they started somewhere. Sometimes a lot of it is luck because they, Caught the moment, or they joined TikTok early enough where they were one of the five users. So everybody followed them when they joined. Sure, timing is everything. But it's also just building. We, we, what do we say? We say, like, putting it, we're building our chessboard. We're putting the chess pieces into the right position so that when the time is right, we can make the checkmate maneuver. And I actually don't play chess, so I don't even know if I use the analogy right. But, you know, we're building our chessboard. Mm it's not a three play game. You, you build a strategy to get to an end goal. Um, And so, yeah, I think that whole adage of, you know, yeah, I, I I just, I I think don't be short-sighted about what's possible because we actually live in a time where almost people are overwhelmed with what's possible and then you've got to refine and whittle it down to what you actually need to be doing right now. Did I just answer the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: To totally. No, you did. You did, and I think, yeah, there might be some brain matter on people's headphones from. Thank mind, goodness, mind you're blown. used to this. No, so. I know. it's good. It's good. That was that was a lot of business talk. I do want to shift a little bit and talk a little bit more about so, you as an individual. Yeah. How do you grapple with extroversion? I, I I know there's a lot of positives that introverts like me see in extroverted people. But I think that that can sometimes get twisted and you end up with people who are, you know, very good at being loud and overconfident, but not actually having substance. And it's like, oh, well, I'm being more extroverted. And I, I look mm. at you as someone who has a very healthy relationship with your extrovertedness. And so to the extroverts listening, how have you developed that in yourself? I surround myself
1: with introverts is what I do <laughs> strategically. Uh, I, I think those opposites attract for a reason, and I'll I'll call Simran out on this one too. You and Simran are both introverts by nature, and there's something where we're drawn to each other because I have my audience and I have friends that I can, <laughs> you know, be a goofball with and and kind of do that. Ah! <laughs> and you guys help ground me, and you get the social connection of me calling all the time, FaceTiming you as I walk home and Simran picks up the FaceTime call. She's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what idea have you come up with now? <laughs> um, and we joke about it, but there's that balance, right? So as, and guys, if you want an indication of how extroverted I am, when I was a single person and even now, I only needed to be by myself for maybe an hour a week. I could be around humans all the time I used to throw four to five parties at my house a week back in the day and I would wrap the party close hug the last guest that was leaving close the door brush my teeth go to bed I like and then wake up the next morning go to work do exactly the same thing again and then Saturday morning I might sit with a coffee for an hour on the couch by myself now that was Back in the day, I have learned to moderate some of that so I can have energy reserves because I will say at the time I was not running a business, I was working for someone else. There was the, I'd take the cap off at the end of the night and go, okay, I'm done with that. I don't take it home. Now that I take my work home because I care about it and I agonize over my, this is not a great phrase or an analogy, but my work children and I Mm -hmm. worry about them. (laughs) I worry about their mortgages. I worry about how they're doing in their lives, how we're going to make payroll every month. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, these are just the stresses of running a business. Um, Because of that, I cannot do five parties a week. It's not physically possible. So how do I manage my reserves is now I hang around introverts who help ground me. My husband is an off the deep end introvert. So now my mornings are sacred and we wake up, we don't really talk. We just make coffee. I sit and I read a magazine. I try not to look at my phone because I don't find it productive for my start of my day, but that's like, almost like me charging the battery and the, you know, the, the, the bars go up and then I'm like, watch out world. Here I come. Uh, And then I come back at the end of the day, again, try to practice just a little bit of that moderation. And, and I, I have seen the evidence of this because probably when Mark and I first started dating, it was very evident, and this is how I always was, I just thought this is how you are as an extrovert. You go to a party, you've got three parties that night because 16 people have invited you to 60 different things, right? It's a tough life being popular. <laughs> but, but this is what you do because energy attracts energy. So I just gravitate to people. I'd meet them in the supermarket. I'd invite them over for dinner. And it's so fun. It's such a great skill. but It's harnessing it that is a critical growth Uh, You know, challenge and it was for me and it still is. So when Mark and I first met, first of all, he tricked me into thinking he was also extroverted and then he was like locked me in an exclusive and then I was like, wait, what? You're not (laughs) poor Mark, he's going to see this and you're like, you're not supposed to talk about these things. Um, And I would be at parties and I'd be talking to you and I'd be thinking about the three other people I need to say hi or bye to before I have to go to this next other thing. I don't do that anymore. When I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. And I'm invested in this conversation and I'm more present with people. And so harnessing that extroversion for good and not for evil is such a vital skill to develop for those of us crazy extroverts out there, because the world needs us to bring excitement and color and spontaneity to their lives. But we also need to harness it and use our powers for good and not for evil because also especially now, especially as we reemerge from this pandemic and we as a generation, and what I mean by that is generation that's alive on the earth, not so much just millennials versus boomers versus Gen Z it's as a generation, we can kind of spot when someone isn't really paying attention to us. So then what's the point of that conversation? Why are you there? Well, coming back to conviction, like, what are you talking to this person? Well, be present with them and you'll see what can happen.
0: So I have it in my notes as something I I learned from you in this Zoom world that we're living in, and even even on in-person things with, you know, interacting with the front desk of somewhere or you happen to show up to the venue a little bit early to talk to the client. I think for us introverts, we can sometimes think when you join a meeting, if the meeting starts at 12, by 12.01, you should be talking about whatever the agenda item is. And I think you approach things from like, well, let's spend from 12 o'clock to 12.06 talking about how your kids are doing. And I know that you had mentioned that you were barbecuing brisket last weekend. How did that end up turning out? And are you guys going to get a chance to go to Florida this year? And the nuance that gets conveyed when you do that is that you care more about the person than being productive. And for introverts like me, it's like, oh, well... I don't, I, we don't, we don't need to do that. Cause I would rather just talk about this thing and then we can, we can, we can leave. It, you, it doesn't require that much to get that across. And then you feel so much more connected to this person. You're more likely to want to collaborate again in the future, all these sorts of things. And I, 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 I saw a tweet on, on it that made me think like, oh yeah, that's what, it, that's the lesson. The lesson is to shoot the shit a little bit before being productive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you are trying to replicate an in-person office environment in those meetings over a electronic technology. You need all of the things you can put into it to make it feel personal. Because if, okay, flip it it the other way. When we go back to offices, and if you sit down in in a boardroom, in a meeting room, and just go straight into, like no one makes eye contact, everybody's silent, and then suddenly someone starts the meeting and goes, okay, so let's look at the charts, the X, Y, Z. You'd look at the person and go, well, that's a bit rude. Like, if you walked into a meeting room, sat down, and didn't make eye contact with anyone else at the table, Um, hello, you might need some social skills training. So why do we do that on Zoom? Why do we sit there and just, like, we're on our computers just waiting for the meeting to start? And you're like, uh, that's not how real humans behave, guys human-centered design, how are we designing our meetings, how are we designing our interactions so that a human, it feels like they're comfortable. We're social creatures by nature, even introverts are social creatures. It's just the type of social interaction is vastly different. So I, I mean, I honestly think it's been one of the secret sources of our online event success. There's a reason why people give the feedback that like, Man, I forgot I was on Zoom. Oh, this is the best online event I've been. I I forgot we were doing an online event. It's like, yeah, because we thought about you. We thought about how humans should interact with each other. And if you want to succeed in life, you've got to know how humans work and how they want to be interacted with. It was a really inarticulate way of saying it, but it's kind of fundamental.
0: I want to talk about vision. And you might have already answered this in the, you know, segment where we talked about conviction, but I find that I've noticed you're incredibly skilled at setting the heading and convincing everybody that that's a good direction to row in, even if you can't see the shore. That's my analogy. And it's often really critical for people who are either challenging the status quo or doing something that doesn't technically exist yet. And it's a skill. How do you improve that skill? And what resources have been helpful for you in developing that?
1: Uh, Daydreaming is an incredibly powerful habit. Coming back to creating capacity for yourself. If you're redlining all the time, you can't daydream. You can't think about what could the future look like. Um, Please excuse that I've got a a lozenge in my mouth. Uh, As Justin knows, I spend eight hours of my day in meetings, convincing people to get up to crazy shenanigans with us or other things, and so uh, my voice is uh, not podcast perfect at the moment. Um, and I'm probably gonna choke on this, this, <laughs> this lolly now. Um, yeah, it's how allowing yourself to be inspired. I am not the smartest person in half of the rooms I walk into. The skill that I bring is that I'm I'm excited about what could be. The optimism, optimism is infectious. Again, joy and conviction. How, am I excited about what we're doing? Do I care about it enough to put it out into the world? And then who am I letting inspire me? It's why I try not to pick up my phone in the morning and I read magazines because one, it's a physical tactile thing. So I'm getting this sensory input of like physically holding something and then the visual of watching and learning from other people's creative work, being challenged by their thinking, how diverse are the inputs that you're getting? Do you only use the same sort of news sources? How much do you read of content that from people that don't maybe see the, same, see the world the same as you? Um, so all of those are important building blocks to being able to see the future, right? Um, And we all have, and I I don't accept that some people are creative and some people are not, we we all have the capacity to be creative. It's how much we nurture that and how much we exercise it. And we have a a principle that we apply in our work and with each other, and for everyone listening, it's that we try to operate as much as we can at 70% capacity. As a business owner, that's counterintuitive, I think to the way that most post-industrial corporate environments work. We should be having optimum productivity at all times. Well, you know what? If you're working at 100% capacity, you've got no room to come up with great new ideas or better ways of doing the thing that you're already doing. So we try to do 70% because it gives us room to flex up and we build this, you know, you're charging the battery, you're charging the battery, you're doing productive work, but that 30% you're storing up for when we need to do the 60 to 80-hour weeks because we're doing five super intense, amazing creative events in a week in our busy periods, we can do that because we spent the quieter periods just, you know, we're running in third or fourth gear, not going, you know, trying to floor it to 100 miles an hour. So I think that's how you cultivate that vision capability. It's also hanging around people who are at a next level in the way that they see the world, learning from them. And, you know, Justin, you do such a great job of those, the digests of like, here's interesting people that are doing cool things. And, oh, here's a here's a concept, you know? And so I think your podcast is a great resource for people, especially from a an industry focus. Um, and so it's like, who are you hanging around that's challenging you to push the envelope? Who's encouraging you that it's possible to do that? Um, and even if you're not in a position at this moment to, uh, you know, act on a lot of those visions and dreams, having them in the first place is so important because you're starting to get to know, let's, let's talk to those 23 to 25 year olds who think it's not possible to, to, to change. If you don't dream about something, what are you like, how are you, how are you cultivating what's important to you? And I will say, you know, I'm let's put a fine point on it. I am 39 years old, about to be 40. It's been a minute since I was 23. And the things that I dreamt about at 23, some of those things are still important to me. Some of them are not. But if you're not practicing this this habit of walking home, no podcast in, although you should always listen to Justin's podcast. <laughs> um walking home and letting The world inspire you, and you kind of wander off. And I, you know, I get caught out for it sometimes in meetings because I'll kind of turn my head like (laughs) Simran or Justin, be like, "Auntie is having a moment. She's having one. Like, come back to us. Come back to
0: us." Well, it's it's like living in the unrealistic for a little while, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. and um, not in a delusional way, but it's almost like you allow yourself to um release from the practical for a second and just kind Mm -hmm. of float in the uh, what what could be like you're like you're Mm -hmm. saying um
1: yep yeah and and to put some academia some science behind it scientists are starting to neuroscientists particularly and starting to see the incredible health benefits of trying new things and experimentation and it's actually something for uh dementia treatment predicting uh you know later in life health learning new skills so there's there's studies that have shown 17 80 year olds playing video games like call of duty style for an hour a day it vastly improves their health outcomes not just for mental but physical health outcomes who knew so this is a justification but if you already play call of duty maybe you need to go do some sudoku maybe you need to go learn gardening um again we're privileged the internet can teach you anything i recently picked up pottery it's a i can't touch my phone kind of activity so I, I started doing it because i was like what are things that i can do that take me off my devices pottery is fantastic because i'm covered in clay i literally can't touch my eyes
0: <laughs> or uh you started playing tetris too during pandemic which is also tetris. like it's a yes. it's a device but you can't scroll instagram on this device like right no
1: it was a it's a knockoff sorry in nintendo game boy and uh it looks like it's licensed so who knows whether (laughs) it's you know one of those like second hand you know third party licensee things but yeah i play tetris because it forces me to my my the the neurons that are firing in one direction i'm creating new pathways and it's incredible what our brains and our bodies are capable of. I think we've seen this past year the strain that our physical cells have gone under, and how that affects our emotional well-being. But it's also the reverse. How do we do mental exercises that help our physical well-being? Um, we're, we're starting to sound like we're running health retreats. Um,
0: sure, but uh, humans okay, maybe. for humans—it's for humans. Humans. The the <laughs> the point on capacity, I think, is interesting too because you know the the restaurant folks i think will will be able to jive with this someone will say okay cool we're going to do the 70% capacity thing and then something comes along whether it's a buyout at the restaurant or a busy weekend or the patio opens and all of a sudden you do 110% for for the day
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that
0: then for some reason like what's do the 70% thing but when you go above it, make sure you come back to 70%. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people will have experienced, mm-hmm. oh, well, we used to be five line cooks, now we're three. And it doesn't look like they're going to hire for more because that just got, you know, like they saw we were at 70%. Now we're at 110 and now that's the standard. And so mm-hmm. I think what we've done really well is being okay with like, okay, we have 10 days where, you know, our next event isn't going to come until here. How What, what is our 70% going to be made up of? Um mm-hmm. and actually like pioneer like being proud of that versus this idea mm-hmm. of I mean it's just the age old adage in restaurants of like if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And it's like, well, you're just filling your time with more, you know, work. Uh it's not necessarily and you know, across the board it's not for maybe every single organization, but I think that there's there's something there that is missing where people say, This is a good idea, but then the whole life cycle doesn't get accomplished mm-hmm. because you start yeah. here and then the baseline just gets reset, which is counterproductive.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, Oh, there was something I was going to say, but I'll, yeah, I yeah. Lost it. I'll think we'll come back later. to it.
0: We'll come back to it. Yeah. Last question before we go into rapid fire. I want to talk about doing the thing I'm, I'm calling it specific knowledge, but we can say it's, it's, it's doing the thing and mm-hmm. the thing in this context is like working events. And, you know, we touched on it briefly in our last conversation. when We were talking about your previous experience and we've talked about it today, too. But I think even in the past 24 months for us, we've had those conversations of, okay, let's not have Jade be a part of this meeting or, you know, Jade should actually be working on XYZ right now. And this mm-hmm. is very like e-myth revisited kind of, kind of thing. If mm-hmm. someone's at that point in their yep. career where they used to be the ones making all of the pies by hand, and now they have to pivot to mm-hmm. think about franchising agreements and branding assets and writing the cookbook. What's been helpful for you as the business is growing to navigate those, those waters? Cause it's, it's not, I had a really hard time with it.
1: Um, mm. so what's
0: been helpful? Um,
1: uh going to be classic extrovert but being around people who challenge me to let go um having third party trusted people who I can share with so one of our investors I meet with monthly and she helps me get a a bird's eye view from an external perspective she's obviously got a vested interest in us doing well but she's also like but think about this thing and and don't forget to leave space for that thing and so it helps me to kind of like take my head up for a second and go, oh yeah, I don't, I don't wanna to get too deep in the weeds, right? Um, I'd also say that I'm really fortunate, but also we have worked hard on this, is creating trust, high, high levels of trust in our team where we trust each other to have the, the heart of the business, the values, the the, owner, the personal ownership of the mutual success of our team at its core. So if I'm not in every meeting, I already know you, Simran, you know, our other team members. Um, and I'm not saying names because we haven't asked permission yeah, to, yeah, no, to name I, them. I, I, caught um,
0: that. I caught that.
1: Um, but, uh, you know, like that everybody in our team knows that I trust them to carry this business with care and attention. Um, and it and comes so... first,
0: right? Like we we don't have a culture of you have to earn our trust trust comes first yeah like super important start with trust Mm.
1: and and you know there's been times where we've we've booped as we say and and that trust has maybe not been well applied but you're doing business right yeah you you dust yourself off mm -hmm. and you you get up and you you keep going and yeah i think um man how do i how do i navigate letting go that's kind of the question we're asking right um or or
0: being in a being in an organization like Uh, Being so attached to an organization where you started doing one thing, and for a lot Mm -hmm. of chefs, this might be writing the menus, working on the line, talking Mm. to guests, and now the business, based on how it's grown, requires you to do something else based on your role in the hierarchy.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ego. You have to put your ego aside. There is a very big difference between Voyager's Table being successful and me being seen as successful. And so, especially speaking to all our chefs out there, you know, there's such a a personal investment in the dishes that you put out in the way that your restaurant is seen. And I totally understand that. Work hard as a leader, lead yourself first. That's where I'd start. Lead yourself first. I don't always get it right. And there will be countless people who will be like, yeah, Jade, I'll tell you about the 10 times you didn't get it right. You know what? That's okay put ego to one side and really identify what what do I define as success in this context? And for me, I started the year and you can you can you know you can attest to this. I started the year by saying this this year is the year I need to level up as a CEO. So how do I do that? I need to delegate more. I need to be involved in XYZ less. And also, it's my job as a leader to effectively work to replace myself. That, to me, is the fundamental indicator of success of, of as a leader, is if you have cultivated great people who could, if you weren't around, if you needed to be elsewhere because you have other responsibilities for the company, the company would not collapse. It is not healthy if one person steps out and the whole thing falls apart. You've either not built your team right, or there's some trust issues or structure issues in there. So that's where that's how I've taken that journey, is asking myself the hard questions, like, do I really need to be involved in this? And I would give credit again to, to my partner, Mark, who um, often asks me, he says to me, you know they're probably not gonna do it the way you would do it, you still need to let them, if you can get to that same outcome. And I'm like, oh, stop talking to me, I hate <laughs> that you're right. Um, but it's true, right? Like there's probably 30, 40% of things that we do at Voyage's Table now that that's not how I would do it, but man, was it great that you, someone else, whoever got the opportunity to do it their way and tinker and test and AB test. Like when it was just me, that was my luxury. I got to tinker and test and only keep going with the things that worked why wouldn't I afford that to our team members who are helping us build this business? So, um, yeah, that's where I'd start.
0: Let's do some rapid fires. And then I want you to get to your exercise session.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Workout class, sacred time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing you've changed your mind on in recent memory?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, the amount of travel that I think is healthy for me to do end of last year, both, all three of us right as an executive team we're like we can't we can't do every five to seven days that's not healthy um it, partly an outcome of lifestyle change partly an outcome of what we're realizing what really is important in the pandemic and also being given an opportunity because our clients don't need to see us in person now to be able to do events or even to negotiate deals so that's that's a big one
0: what is? The proper Australian abbreviation for this horrible name I've picked for my show, which is the Emulsion Podcast. How many syllables could I have had?
1: Oh man. Um, I that's a tough one. Emulsion <laughs> is a tough one. Um The Emulge. <laughs> no. I, I was yeah, gonna no, say wow. Mully. The Mully. The Mully. <laughs> that
0: sounds like a That's slide. not right.
1: <laughs> the emulsion? Yeah. The there you go. emotion there you go that's
0: how i would (laughs) have right you just connect the ease that's
1: fine take out as many vowels as possible (laughs) yeah
0: i wanted to ask about um either ingredients you're obsessed with right now or favorite kind of like at home dishes you've fallen in love with in pandemic times
1: guslemeth i'm learning how to make turkish guslemeth from Uh, Sim? Uh, no, from the internet because you can learn anything on the internet. <laughs> and I probably need to check my technique with Simran because she uh, lived and worked and studied in Turkey for a little while. Um, yeah, gozlameh. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, it's a huge thing in Australia. Everybody loves it, and it's not so big here. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a it's a that's a food I'm newly obsessed with. Um, if we're talking about ingredients, um, oh my gosh, uh, I'm obsessed with my tomatoes that I'm growing in my little veggie plot, and uh, lemongrass is a new one too. Coming from an Asian ethnic heritage, obviously have eaten it, you know, a lot. Now working with it and using it to make, you know, uh, syrups and tinctures and reductions. Uh, have a business partner who's a chef because you have a 24 seven hotline. How do I do this? And my ganache is separated at nine o'clock at night. How do I fix it? So uh, I tell our clients all the time that I am a sport brat because I just basically have Justin on speed dial. So thank you, chef. Of course.
0: (laughs) Any topics that you were hoping that we would have discussed today or, or parting thoughts for people or things that are top of mind, either in the business or in your personal life that you want to share
1: with folks? Yes, it's an industry thing. And I. Mm. this is my soapbox call to arms, call to action for our community, our hospitality and event community. Let's be really mindful of how we structure our business models so we don't have to live on 2% profit margins. Justin and I have always been passionate about having rainy day fund, having, you know, security blanket because we come from immigrant families where our parents busted their asses to make sure we could have an opportunity and we saw how thin the margins were at so many points and so that security is really important to us i think it's it's where it's how we got to where we are is going oh man i've seen how little safety net i had or didn't realize i didn't have and now i'm looking back and going man where's the where's the buffer where is the the safety net And my hope is that as much as we're going through a huge reckoning with restaurant industry, with a lot of the event industry, who people were, you know, and we had to do this too. We had to furlough team members and oh my gosh, the amount of sleep that I lost and that we lost that we agonized over, but at least we were able to keep it going for a time because we had our rainy day fund. We ate right into it guys. We barely survived last year there were periods of last year where I didn't pay myself for six weeks because we were waiting for invoices to get paid. And I I eventually was able to, so I could keep my rent paid. But these are the invisible sacrifices that we make as business owners. And I can't even think about what we would have done had we not had that buffer in the first place. Um, so if there's anything I can encourage all of our friends out there to do, Now you have an opportunity as we reopen this world, as we we re-engage in the world, restructure as best you can to plan for longevity. Let's make it acceptable to say, you know what? I need to charge this because if something goes wrong, I can't take care of my team. And so, you know, we're trying to navigate that with clients, with our pricing. It's not about just bumping up the prices for the sake of it, conviction have the ability to say, you know what, sir, ma'am, person, human, this is what we do because this is how we protect our team. We provide them with leave or we're able to provide benefits because we haven't been able to provide benefits as part of our salary. And we're, we're, this is something we're really prioritizing for the next few months. But like, I'm looking at how we do business and I'm like, I, I need to, I need to make it okay but we ask for what we need to provide stability for our community. And so I know it's hard in restaurants. I know people expect to pay 10 bucks a bowl for pho. And that's such a, you know, this whole like, especially with, with like ethnic food, the quotation marks that it's supposed to be cheaper. It's like, well, you and I know, and all of us here listening, know that's like, that's, that's rubbish. That's the theme. Yeah. (laughs) Feel free to use that word, everybody. Might be in the title. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's, it's, you know, okay, we're now at 2% profit margin. How do we get to five so that we have a little... And, and, you know, that's not profit that goes into the pockets of the owners or the shareholders. It's
0: just it's
1: a American. discipline to put
0: it away. Like, it's a discipline like, to put it in an account and have that rainy day fund sitting there. And it's exactly. not like you upgrade the stove right away. It's not like you buy the new bowls right away or get new uniforms just because it's there. It's like, um, yeah, like be disciplined about... And it's not going to come overnight, right? Like we had the conversation about like, okay, what percent of every invoice are we going to set aside Mm -hmm. to build this back up? Because like you said, we burned through a lot of it,
1: but we had it, we we
0: used it for what it's for. And now it's like, okay, now we need to build it back up again. It's that capacity thing, right? Like just because you went up, you have to bring it back. You have to have the discipline and maybe the conviction to come
1: back around. Yeah. um, And And, reset. If If there's anything I can leave our community listening with, it's if there was any time to rewrite the rules, now. Now is the time. Because we are seeing this sudden rush, the the phrase that I like my eye twitches when we use it, but the hot back summer thing. Sure. I hate that but I still use it. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, that's great. But actually there's a reckoning that's happening. People can't hire enough because people don't want to come back into restaurants because why? They were... They were used and abused, and then when times got tough, they were thrown out on their ass. And I know that we we had to we had to, you know, cancel, you know, with vendors and contractors and say, Oh, I'm so sorry, we can no longer engage you for this event in six months' time because that event went away. And then where they're good, like my thing now is like, how do we write into it that if if it's within a certain time period, like maybe it's two weeks before the event, if the event gets cancelled, Client, you know, we're going to pay our team an X percent because they put that time aside. You know, our contractors, our part time team who say no to other jobs because they're saying yes to being committed to a to an event that we're producing. Like, how do we give them some of that stability back? You know, we have a responsibility. We we didn't always get it right. We, We made so many mistakes. There's things that we did last year that I'm like, man, I wish we had the funds to like you know pay that person for the time that they set aside even though it was like 6 months in advance and so like, there's things that you know we can and can't do there's business practicalities and i get that what i'm saying is if any moment we ever had to change things now is that time let's use it let's let's be really thoughtful and intentional about it let's let's grow up together let's get it right together and we're only going to do that by by banding together and having a, you know like really healthy conversation about what it looks like to run a properly profitable restaurant, a properly profitable um, hospitality business, because the word profit is sounds so dirty to some people. It's like, oh, well, it's, you know, that's like shareholders and they're just getting rich off the hard work. It's like, no, no, no. When I say profit, it's you, you covered your costs, you paid your, your wages to execute the event but what did you have left over to plan for that person being able to get two weeks of leave a year? That's what profit does for us. The profit margins for us in our business allow us to provide benefits. They allow us to provide um, leave and, you know, uh, additional stability that our team members, we, we say that we, we don't hire somebody unless we know we have three months of their payroll in our, in our bank because we're not gonna make a commitment to them that suddenly we have to turn around and go, I'm really sorry, you can't pay your mortgage as of next week because we don't have the money for you. It's, hey, things are looking lean in a month. If we aren't able to increase revenue as a team, we have to have, you get lead time to plan for crises. And we were lucky that we had some of that at the start of the pandemic, but nobody thought it was gonna go this long. If you thought it was going to go this long, high five to you. I'll buy you a drink the next time we see you. No one thought it would be this long. Totally. So plan for that rainy day. Let's change the system now.
0: It's funny that you, I was thinking about this. Um, It's like there's a, there's a, there's a foot down and an apology dynamic that existed pre-pandemic where it's like. You apologize to the guest. I'm sorry we're charging so much. This is what we have to charge. Little disclaimers on the bottom of your receipt that say this is why we have to charge the 20% whatever. And you're super foot down with your employees that say we pay $11 an hour. Take it or leave it kind of thing. Mm. What I was picking up in that conversation is like it's reversed. It's like for our for our clients, it's like this is what it costs. This is what the price is. This is what you know we need to charge for us to show up. And do this event. And then with our employees, it's like there's a little bit more like nuanced conversation, encouraging people to negotiate, like, what else can we talk about with drivers, which we covered in the previous podcast? All Mm -hmm. that stuff is very, very interesting how that's we're we're trying to switch it. And I think that you Mm -hmm. and I are such people who are like, we don't want to go screaming it from the rooftops until we know that it works. But I think that yeah. we're on to something. Uh, I mean, it's it's a theme. <laughs> it's a theme in our, in you know, like you not calling yourself an entrepreneur, like me, you know, not God, to, to doing the forever. same uh, in the same of like calling myself a podcaster or a YouTuber or anything like that. But um, we're trying. We're, we're, we're testing yeah. and we're trying and we're like, the intentions are there.
1: So. Yeah. And, you know, if five more people run their restaurant in a way that allows them to have maybe some permanency of their payroll because they heard this. I, you know, I I hope, I hope we can come together and realize it's not a sustainable model. I don't think we're preaching. I don't think we're saying anything too crazy. I think a lot of people are realizing that the way restaurants and hospitality businesses were run was not sustainable. It, It didn't have longevity in it. And so many of our friends have struggled. We've struggled with how do you, how do you navigate that? But if anything, the average consumer is probably more willing to listen now than they ever have been because they're realizing that maybe, maybe the food that showed up on their plate might be worth, might be worth more than $12. Cause how do you calculate the amount of time it took someone to make it, to do the inventory, to serve it to you, to train the team members so they could serve it to you without licking their fingers before, they, <laughs> before they, you know, like, these little little things that go into running a, a great restaurant or a great event company we need to make that more visible so that it's easy to say and this is why this pricing is this way take it or leave it right as well as navigating that people are tightening their belts we're needing to be you know savvy in a market like there's all those things but if we can make a little bit of incremental positive change, I think that would be something I'd be really, I'd be really happy to see that for our industry.
0: Thank you for coming on the show again, as as always. Them. It's, uh, I'm going to let you go to your workout session, but I, yeah. I mean, we're, depending on when this comes out, I think it will probably come out in three weeks. We're hiring right now. If you want to reach out, mm. please, please reach out if you enjoyed this conversation, if you'd like to work with us, um, especially in Vancouver, Seattle, New York areas. I think that Mm -hmm. we'd love to we'd love to chat anything else
1: come join us um no thanks for being my business partner (laughs) you're the best what a journey can you believe it's been three years I looked at that
0: date (laughs) and I was like it's that thing right where where people say like the 90s was 30 years ago and you're like no that's not real that's only 10 years ago and it's like Mm the mid 2010s is like no that was like two years ago and it's like no that's three five seven years ago
1: We've lived a few lifetimes in the last three years too, so totally. Yeah, uh, I'm sending my love to everybody out there because it's it's an exciting time. It's also a very complex time, I think, and we're all trying to navigate that. So, sending you all my love and thank you for listening, everybody. It's I feel so welcomed because I got to be part of you know some of the earlier days of this podcast, Agreed. and then, you know I have a personal investment <laughs> in its success. So, thanks for listening.
0: What's up? Justin here again, because, I mean, if you're still listening, you didn't not like this episode, right? And if that's the case, I'd like to think that you'd get value from the other work that I share here online all focused on helping chefs and hospitality professionals perform better. If you don't have a lot of time, the best place to start is with the email newsletter that I write every single week called the 8020 Edge. That's where I share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. And I say it saves time because I include all of the content that I published that week all in one place as kind of a weekly digest of sorts. Next up, you should check out my YouTube channel for gear reviews, clips from podcasts just like this one, and documented experiences from some of the best restaurants in the world. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about my intense cohort-based professional development-focused course, get coaching from me to help you make your next move, or just support the show, you can check out justinkana.com support. And if you do support this show already, that's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Finally, it really does help to share a review of this show on Apple Podcasts to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. And until the next episode, my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.